Good to see you all this morning. Uh, there's not uh, <clears throat> there's not a whole lot that is uh, that is interesting uh, about me. Um, if uh, well, if my wife were here, uh, I would I would make some jokes about her and uh, upset her uh, a whole lot because that's uh, that's the thing that I enjoy doing probably the second most in the world is upsetting her. At least that's what I, I have come to. Uh, believe, but no, uh, I think Brother Jeff asked me to come and speak because I was the only guy who's got worse hair than he does, that he could think of, uh, and in his, uh, his flu-like misery, uh, he said, I know a guy who's got worse hair than I do, I'll call him, uh, but uh, it, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, and I'm not going to spend any more time on foolishness. Uh, I'm going to get into our scripture reading for this morning, and uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in Luke, and we'll be in Luke's gospel. Uh, for uh, I, I typically I will I'm I'm generally a guy who spends time on one particular scripture or paragraph of scripture, but uh, I'm going to deviate from that just a just a little bit uh, this morning. We're going to be dealing with. Uh, the gospel. Uh, I've said before, and uh, my children have heard me say this uh, many times, I think as Christians we get the idea that uh, we're born into the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then we, it's like as Christians we, we think that there's something better. We want to move on uh, to, you know, maybe end times theology, or we want to move on to, uh, you know, just eschatology and that sort of thing, you know, big words and sanctification and uh, but the fact of the matter is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not the diving board uh, that, uh, you know, propels us into the kingdom of God. Or the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the diving board, it's the swimming pool, it's uh, all the furniture around it. All, all we're going to do today is we're going to, drive, to try and dive deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, and I noticed on uh, one of the bulletins, from a few weeks ago, uh, you guys have been in Genesis maybe, or uh, maybe here in the, in the near past, y'all have been in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, you see one of the effects of the fall. Right before Genesis chapter 3, you've got this account where Adam and Eve are, uh, they're naked. Uh, uh, naked, maybe, is a proper way to pronounce that, but I'm a Hot Spring County boy, so you guys can forgive me for that. Uh, but they're, uh, they're without clothes, they're in one another's sight, and there is, it's, the Bible says very explicitly that there's no shame, that they are not ashamed. Now, uh, we know that dealing with uh, people that you're going to come into contact with, the culture that we live in, uh, it, it is, it's a very shame-based culture. Uh, one of the things that, that you've seen a, a, a rise in and a prevalence in in our world today is people trying to make other people feel ashamed. Uh, this attempt to shame everyone uh, into feeling bad about everything. Well, in the gospel... One of the things that we'll see is we'll see a reversal of shame. In Jesus Christ, there's this great reversal of shame that occurs when a child of God is born again by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You'll see a reversal in shame. So in Luke chapter 4, 
It's going to be kind of our leaping off point, our diving board, if you will. Luke chapter 4, it's sort of a theme verse uh, here in Luke, kind of a, a purpose statement where Jesus comes and he says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So how does the gospel speak to shame? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, We see here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus saying, this is why I have come. Why is it that I have come? Well, I've come to, uh, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now you notice there, those are all, uh, we, we might say that those are all people groups. In, in first century uh, Jerusalem, in, in the first century world, people groups that all would have been looked down upon. People that would have been, uh, they would have been uh, targets of shame. You're poor, why? Because well, you haven't trusted the Lord. You know, you're oppressed, why? Because you haven't had enough faith in the Lord. You are, uh, you are captive, why? Well, it's because you've done something stupid. You've made poor decisions in your life. And, and that's why you are where you are. So therefore, you, you should feel shame. You should be ashamed. And, and incidentally, this is one of the earliest... Uh, if not the earliest accounts we have of a synagogue service. Uh, and here Jesus is, uh, probably would have uh, began with prayer, with blessing, a reading from the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then he would have been, began to expound on one of those texts. So it's not insignificant that the first account that we have of a synagogue service in the New Testament is Jesus reading these very words. And, and notice that he, he sits down and he says, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see there in Isaiah chapter 61, and he pulls a little bit from Isaiah 58, he brings in uh, this idea of release for the oppressed. And we're going to get to that at the end of of our time uh, together. And uh, He's preaching good news to the poor. He's proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, sight to to the blind, release from oppression, and the year of the Lord's favor. This is why he came. He is the fulfillment of all of those things in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at this along, along two lines. First, I, I want us to think about how Jesus is proclaiming to be able to reverse our status. To, uh, to change this, uh, he's going to maybe really shift our paradigm, shift our way of thinking uh, about the shame uh, honor and all of those things we see we'll see here in in Luke's gospel. So uh, it's interesting that you know if you think about first century um, the first century world, uh, it, it's a very what we might say a very stratified society, not like the one that we experience here in our world. Uh, a very 
very much a caste society. In other words, if you're, you know, if you're born uh, into a family that is, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, if you're maybe a, a person who's born into a family that your, your mother and father are slaves or they're, uh, you know, they're lower on the, on the social scale, well, that, that's where you're going to be. Um, if you're born into a family that is, you know, is royalty, um, like Herod the Tetrarch, then, then you're going to be royalty. And, and there's really no way to, in the first century uh, to break that system. Now, we, we really can't appreciate that. In, in our world, I'm sure that there are some of you here today who were probably born in, uh, into very poor circumstances and uh, by the Lord's blessing and, and your diligent work, you've, you know, you, uh, you've, you've made a very successful life for yourself. And uh, so it's hard for us to, to wrap our heads around that. But if you're, if you're born into a, a certain lot in life, then that is pretty much your lot in life as, as a first century person. It's similar to uh, if you know anything about like the Hindu caste system uh, today, it's, it's very much along those lines. Uh, so what Jesus is doing here is he's coming on the scene and he's saying, I have the power to reverse what you have actually been born into. That, and, and that is the power of the gospel. And we're going to see, uh, if, you're ve- if you're somewhat familiar with your Bible, you know that you're born into sin. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're born sinners. And, and Jesus has the power to take that and reverse that status. He says, I have the power to take the, bo- the poor. I'm going to bring good news to them. I'm going to release those who are oppressed. And we're going to see that uh, illustrated in a couple of different stories. And, and what I want you to see briefly in each of these, as each of these stories unfold uh, is how uh, there's a different facet to each of these stories and how this reversal will take place through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So flip in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. What I want you to focus on here is this man coming to Jesus full of leprosy, falling on his face and saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what can Jesus do? How can Jesus reverse our status? How can he change our world around? Well, I, I'll, I'm here today to tell you that he can take you from being dirty to being clean. Uh, now, notice here that the Bible tells us that this man was full of leprosy. You're probably familiar with uh, the disease of leprosy and what was uh, determined to be leprosy during this time. It was a skin disease. could be a number of different kinds of, uh, of skin ailments that would fall under the umbrella of, 
the word leprosy. Um, we probably think of it most oftentimes in terms of uh, the worst form of leprosy, wherein your nerve endings are uh, kind of seared to you don't feel pain and, um, and you just continue to damage usually the extremities of the body and, uh, and you end up with these uh, terrible looking buildups. And uh, sometimes uh, leprosy is, is not curable. Um, it was a physical condition, yes, but there were also, uh, there were also uh, social implications from having this disease. Does anyone know what was required of you if you had leprosy that you would shout at the top of your lungs if you were walking down the road? Unclean. Now, how would you like to go around and, and that be the mantra of your life? To be known as the person who was unclean. Constantly going around just shouting, unclean, unclean. And here is this man who was probably ostracized from his family. Couldn't, couldn't be with his family because he might uh, infect them. Certainly he, uh, you know, he would have been uh, alienated from, from all of his normal social circles. Uh, certainly he wouldn't have been able to go to, to temple to pray. He was unclean. He couldn't, he couldn't even begin to worship the Lord. Here he is in a, in a condition of uncleanliness, leprosy. And the Bible paints the picture that uh, leprosy is uh, oftentimes symbolic of sin. And what does he do? This is a picture of healing uh, like we've seen in other places uh, in the Bible. Uh, but one of the interesting things to me is the word healing is not used in this story. It's the word cleansed. Make me clean, Lord. And it's not just that he cleanses him. Uh, he, he actually touches him. And I don't think that it's insignificant that Jesus touches him. And notice what he says to the Lord. Not, Lord, heal me, but Lord, if, if you are willing. Now, here's a man, Jesus, of course, Jesus is all-knowing. Uh, we don't know how this man came about his leprosy. We're not told, you know, what he did to, to contract it. Uh, we're not told uh, anything really about this man. Just that he fell on his face before the Lord, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing. So here's a man who is, who's really, he's, he's in a helpless situation. And I, I want you to feel the weight of his condition as he approaches Jesus. And see the, I want you to see the boldness in what he does here. He comes to Jesus, and instead of keeping his distance, he falls down at Jesus' feet. He bows down before the Lord. He honors Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing. Now, in that statement, I, he's not doubting Jesus' ability, right? He understands that Jesus has the ability to make him clean. But he wonders if Jesus is willing to make him clean. Now, there are some of you here today who, because what you have done in the past, you wonder... Lord, are you, are you really willing 
I don't, I don't doubt your ability to take care of that sin, to erase that sin that I've engaged in in the past. But Lord, are, are you willing? There are some of you here who've maybe even had things done to you that you, you just, you, to this day, you struggle and you wonder, Lord, can you, can you make me, you, I know you can make me clean from that, but Lord, are you willing to make me clean? The answer is yes. He is willing. He's not just willing. Notice what he does here. He touches this man. He could have spoken a word, right? He could have said, yes, your faith has made you well. And we're going we're to see those words in just a moment. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you clean. But that's not what he does. He, he touches him. What's the significance of that? Well, the significance of that is he says, yes, I'm, I'm willing to make you clean, and I'm even willing to take that upon me. I'm willing to take that infirmity, that leprosy upon me. I'm willing to assume that, and that's exactly what Jesus did in the Gospel. That's what He did in the cross. He took our sins upon Himself. He bore that to Calvary. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus did. That's why I can stand here and I can say with full authority that no matter what has happened, no matter what you have done, no matter how dirty your life is, Jesus can make you clean and He is willing to make you clean. Friends, that is great news. That is good news because here's the fact of the matter. You are the leper. I am the leper. Each one of us. We are full of sin. We came into this world conceived in sin. We've lived lives of sin. And He's willing to take all of that upon Himself and say, you are clean. You are mine. Friends, this is, this is the creator of the universe who is willing to do that. Not for me. Yes, for me. But I, I don't want you to say, well, he's, he can do it for you. I'm looking at you, and I can tell you've got a suit on. Uh, you know, your hair is fairly short. You, you look like a clean-cut guy. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. I'll tell you, I'm a sinner. I'm a leper. That's who I am. So he will take you. He will reverse your status. He will take you from being dirty to clean. Now, the problem with a lot of us is we don't recognize the fact that we're a leper. You know, we, we, don't like to, we don't like to go around shouting unclean. We don't like to recognize. We don't, we don't like to admit our faults to ourselves, we certainly don't like to admit the fact that we're a sinner. Since the beginning, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sinned and then immediately they tried to hide. Tried to fix it themselves. That's what we do. We try and put fig leaves over things that, that God puts animal skins over. That's just, that's our nature. We've got to get to the place where we say, you know, Lord, Make me clean. So he takes us, he reverses our status, he takes us from a place of cleanliness, from a condition of, rather a condition of leprosy, 
uh, to a condition of cleanliness, a condition of uh, dirtiness to a condition of cleanliness. He also, uh, if you look in chapter 7, you'll see a, a condition of being uh, from being rejected to being accepted. Verse 36 of chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house. He sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. We don't know uh, what kind of sinner. There's a lot of conjecture. Um, and it's uh, very possible that she was what we would call a woman of the night. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She stood behind him weeping, behind, or stood at his feet rather, behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with her, the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spake to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now do you see the implication in that? She is a sinner. Not like me. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him. Jesus knows what he's thinking. Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, say it. You can almost, you can almost see Simon sitting there ready to be commended, right? Ready to be commended because here is this woman who is obviously of ill repute. And she's uh, in the same presence as Jesus and, and this perfect man. And he's, he's ready to be commended. Yes, Lord, say whatever you want to say about me because I know you're about to say good things. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave him more. And he said to him, you have ju rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now what I want you to see here is Jesus accepts this woman. She goes from a position of being rejected by someone like Simon and by the religious elite of that day to a position of being accepted. Have any of you ever been rejected from something? Uh, I remember uh, back when I was in school, uh, later on in, in my high school years, my my dad, every, every summer, he would send me up to some friends of his who lived up near Batesville. Um, it was uh, the Samples. They had, uh, well, uh, Troy and Joy, they owned, uh, they owned like a, a trucking company. They had some chicken houses, and they ran some cows. And uh, so my dad would send me up there every summer to work for Troy. So 
uh, you know, I would go up and I would clean out chicken houses and clean out cattle guards and, uh, and grease 18-wheelers. Um, it's fun. I really, it was actually, it was, it was, a, uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, uh, Mr. Troy paid me, paid me more than, a lot more than I was worth. Um, I probably messed up more than I, uh, more than I helped him. Uh, but he, you know, he, he was teaching me how to work. Um, and, but in the evenings, whenever I would get off, you know, I was 16, 17, so I had boundless energy. I would, I would go into Batesville to, uh, to play basketball. Um, I was a decent basketball player in high school, and so uh, that, was, that was the thing that I liked to do. And uh, so I would go, and, you know, the, so the first, uh, first day I go, and um, I guess I can say this, I didn't look like everybody else on the basketball court. Um, you know, we're, we're picking teams and dividing teams and stuff. And, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there, and I'd been shooting, you know, a little bit. And I'm like, surely these, you know, these guys can see that I can play. You know, well, you know I'm, I'm going to choose him. I'll choose him, you know, him. And we're getting down, and I'm like, I've never in, in my life been the last one picked in a pickup basketball game. It's never, it's never happened in my life. And I'm like, I will, I'm going to show these guys. Uh, but you know, just that feeling of not being, you know, not being accepted uh, was, I mean, to, you know, to a 16, 17-year-old kid, uh, it, uh, it didn't ruin me. Uh, but I, I just, I remember uh, very vividly, you know, the, the feeling of rejection uh, at that time. Now here, you multiply that times a million, and, and you've got this woman here who's pretty much rejected by everyone in society. Uh, the people that she needs uh, to accept her the most are the ones who reject her the most. The ones who supposedly have the truth that can transform her life are the very ones that are rejecting her. And, and I hope you see kind of where I'm going with this because here's the thing, in, in our desire oftentimes to be sanctified, to be set apart, uh, if we are not careful as God's people, we can reject the ones that we need to be accepting. We, we reject the ones who need to hear the gospel the most. And I'm not saying, you know, I know that uh, that language is, I, I, I tread lightly whenever I use that language um, of the most, the people who need to hear the gospel the most because everyone needs to hear the gospel equally. Um, but the very people who uh, the gospel would impact their lives exponentially uh, are the very ones that we personally, I'll just, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me, are the ones that I have trouble accepting the most. You see, because I'm, I'm the Pharisee in this story. I'm the one who is the pastor at the last church that I pastored, would look at certain people and say to myself, they would make a good member at my church. And I might look at others and say, oh, yeah, they probably need to find somewhere else. I'm just being upfront and honest with you. If we're not careful, we can fall into that trap, right? Of the Lord saying to us, you know, Eli, can I say something to you? Teacher, say it. 
But that's not what he does with this woman. Jesus accepts her. Now notice one of the things that I think we're, uh, maybe we are uh, guilty of, and again, I'm, I'm not, I'll not throw you under the bus, I'll throw myself under the bus. Um, I think oftentimes I, I want people to get their lives right before I get them in church. I want them to look like a saved person because, uh, you know, I, I want them to look like a saved person before they're a saved person. You know, if a drunk gets saved on a Friday night and comes to church on a, on a Sunday morning, you know what he is? He's a saved drunk. That's what he is. Listen, we, we, we need to reverse this idea of thinking that we've got to clean people up before we can bring them to the Lord. It's our job to bring them to the Lord who will accept them and He will clean them up. He will do the cleaning. And can I tell you today, I don't care who you are, where you are in your life, He's still cleaning you up. You can get mad at me if you want. I don't have to come back next Sunday. Brother Jeff can clean it up. <laughs> I don't care where you are, He's still cleaning you up. And thank Him that He is. So He takes us from a place of, of being rejected to a place of being accepted. This woman, she doesn't have to get things right in her life and then be allowed to come into the presence of Jesus. No, Jesus accepts her. So she comes into His presence, all the baggage of her life, and He says, go, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He restores her. He receives her. All the things that have been done to you, all the things that you've endured, I receive you. I accept you. So no matter how storied our past might be, no matter what we've done, coming to Jesus doesn't mean getting our act together. Doing everything right and then coming to Him. Listen, you, you go to Jesus with all the filth in your life and allow His grace to rid you of that filth, to clean you of that. It's not a performance-based salvation where you do this or that in order to be made right in the sight of God. Being made right in the sight of God was taken care of on the cross at Calvary. Lastly, I want us to see that he takes us from a place of being lost to found. You may know where I'm going with this. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, we see the parable of, what's he called? The prodigal. This is a story that's so familiar to uh, pretty much the entire world that you know we, the, the secular world talks about. Uh, the prodigal and talks about uh, our prodigals. Growing up, I, uh, I could never figure out if my mom and dad were saying that I was a, a prodigy or a prodigal. Um, looking back now, I know. I'll let you figure out which one that was. 
He takes us from a place of being dirty to clean, a place from being rejected to accepted, from being lost to found. You know the story. You know the story of, uh, that Jesus presents to all of these tax collectors, uh, all of these sinners. If you look back in verse 15 of chapter 1, or uh, rather chapter 15, verse 1, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Notice, it's amazing when you look at Jesus, you see these tax collectors and sinners who come to hear him, but then the very next verse, in verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. Now, this is a complete side note, and you get this one for free, but uh, you know, if, if you're constantly in a place of bickering and complaining when God's word is proclaimed, you know, if you're, if you're constantly just, you know, not, uh, you know, not listening to the Lord and, and getting mad when you hear the Bible preached, uh, then there's a good chance you've fallen into a spirit of uh, Phariseeism. Um, you need to go back and recognize that you're the tax collector, you're the sinner. Those are the people who were wanting to hear Jesus. The religious people of the day were, uh, they were eschewing the words of Jesus and complaining about what Jesus was saying. So, uh, it's always good, to, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, uh, doing, uh, doing hard examination and looking at our own hearts. But a certain man had two sons, and the younger one wanted his inheritance and uh, you probably know that this was to say to the father, Father, you know, I don't care if you live or die. I just want what's coming to me when you die. And he goes and he spends that inheritance on, on riotous living. Comes to himself one day in the pigsty. Looks around and he says, man, he says, you know, I had it so good when I, when I was at my father's place. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to say to my father, Father, just let me be like one of your hired servants. I don't have to have my position back as, as your son. I just want to be a hired servant again. Of course, uh, you know the story. You know that when uh, the father saw the son coming, he runs to him. doesn't wait for his son to come and grovel at his feet and say, Dad, I was so wrong. Uh, you know, he doesn't point at him and say, I told you so. He, he just, he runs to him. Now, if you know a little bit about first century uh, times, it was a dishonor uh, for a man to, uh, to be seen running in public. It's not like today where we're kind of lauded uh, and for, uh, for running. But no, he was, it would have been a, would have been a, a place of, of dishonor for him to run. So, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And uh, the father doesn't even let him get all of that out of his mouth. And he embraces him. And uh, I, I was, as I was reading this, um, he, he hugs him. Uh, he runs and and falls on him and, and kisses him, and he, he covers him. Now, if you know a little bit about the Levitical law, when you go back to Leviticus chapter 15 and 16, you'll see there that the punishment for dishonoring your mother and father was stoning. 
There is no doubt that this young man had dishonored his father and mother. Now the brother, the older brother, when we look at that, we, we think, of, you know, so the father runs and he, he covers him. Now, well, I, I think it's interesting that he covers him because the punishment that should have come to this young man was not, uh, was not what he receives. He should, have, he should have been stoned is what should have happened. So here's what I think we see going on in this story is not just the son being lost and then found, but I think we see the father coming and saying to the people around him, if you want to stone my son, then you're going to have to go through me. And is that not what Jesus has done? He interposed himself. He puts, his, he puts himself in between us and the wrath of God. He says, no. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The wrath of God will not come upon the child of God. He puts himself in between us and the wrath of God. But notice the older brother He's angry because the the father doesn't just hug his son. He says, bring out the fatted calf, put the robe on him, put put my signet ring on him because my son was lost and now he's found. Now, this is a a beautiful picture where we see uh, him coming and saying, I will find you, I will rescue you, which if you know Luke chapter 15, it's all about things that are lost and then have been found. And, and here's the, the, one of the, I think, primary emphasis that we see in this story is God is in a hurry. We would all agree that the Father is God in this story, would we not? I think we, you, know, you, can, you can make a lot of things in a parable, a lot of things. You, know, you can let your imagination run as wild as you want. But I think the rules of interpretation would uh, allow us all to come to the consensus that the Father in this story is God. So, just a quick note. There's no other place in the Bible, uh, at least that I could think of, where you see God in a hurry. Not even the idea of God being in a hurry. Maybe, maybe God's swift to bring His vengeance upon those uh, you know, in, in Revelation. But here you see God in a hurry. For what purpose? To rescue His Son. To rescue His child. To bring that which was lost to a state of being found. That's the kind of God that we serve. Put a robe on Him. Put a ring on Him. Put sandals on His feet. He's not a slave. He's free in our house. Let's party. Let's celebrate. You see, what, what should have been a funeral has been turned into a feast because of what God does for His people. He rescues His people from the shame that sin brings. Now, I want you to think about this from this perspective. He, he not only reverses our status, but He redeems our souls. Jesus goes from, uh, one of the things in Luke is you see, you see Jesus from birth to resurrection. And that's the message of the cross. 
The shame of our sin is put upon Him. The shame of our sin is put upon Him. He hangs there on the cross completely shameful before all who pass by. However, God takes that ultimate picture of shame and He reverses it. He turns it back into the ultimate picture of honor in the resurrection of Jesus. And it brings us back to the original words that uh, I read to you from Luke chapter 4 when he says, I came to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's interesting in this picture is in Isaiah 61, you see a reference to the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. Every 50 years it was declared that during that year, everyone who had a debt, that debt would be canceled. Everyone who had fallen into hard times and uh, had to become a slave uh, of someone else, they were now freed. In that 50th year, God brought things back to an even kill. So when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 4 and quotes from Isaiah 61, and he says, I came to release, I've come to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he goes to the cross. He dies there, he rises from the grave, And what he's saying to all who are held captive by sin, to all who are oppressed by your sin, in the middle of your shame, he says, I've come to set you free. I will release you. That's a picture of the gospel. Jesus is saying in the middle of your shame, I release you. I will take your shame, and I will not just take your shame, but I will take your shame and I will turn it into honor. That's what he says. So this morning as as we stand, as our musicians come uh, for a time of invitation, I want you to think on just a couple things. Uh, I'd like for you to to ask yourself, do, do I see myself as the leper? Do I see myself as the woman? Do I see myself as the prodigal? Um, you know, all of us have a place in, in God's story, and I would say that we usually fall on uh, sort of one of those two spectrums, and most of the time we're probably somewhere uh, in between. But here's what I know. Through the power of God's Spirit, through the conviction of His Word, uh, He'll show you where you are in life. He will reveal to you where you are and where you need to improve, uh, where you need to submit to Him even more. The question is, will you, will you allow Him to take that shame? Will you recognize that it was reconciled at the cross of Christ? Uh, will you endeavor today to yield yourself even more to His Spirit? I'm going to pray, and then, uh, Brother Brian, I'll turn services over to you. Father God, we are grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy. Father, we are thankful that you have, in Christ, have taken our sin, our shame, our guilt, our fear. Uh, Father, we pray that, um, that we would understand that today, that we would internalize that uh, for now and evermore. Uh, Father, I pray that if there's one here today who hasn't uh, trusted in Christ as their Savior, they haven't put their faith and trust in Him, Father, today they would recognize that that they fall short. No matter how good they may be, 
uh, in relation to the people around them. Uh, Father, they may be the best person ever. The fact of the matter is they've sinned against a holy God. They will have to give an answer to you one day. And if their answer is their own righteousness or their own goodness, help them to know that they will be found wanting. Father, the only thing that can satisfy the answer for goodness is your Son. I pray, Father, that they might put their faith and trust in Him even now. Father, whatever it is today that you need us to do, uh, may you let each one of us individually know. May we respond in a way that brings you honor and glory. We pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.